the parables uh, are these little stories Jesus tells to kind of frustrate usually the ways we think about God and the ways we think about the gospel. And tonight's question is a really important question that Jesus is answering and what he's speaking about. Uh, Tonight's question is, is this stuff powerful? Actually really powerful. Um, A lot of us, I think, all feel obligated, if you identify as a Christian, to maybe give lip service to Christianity as being powerful. But I think many of us question, and I'm sure uh, Christian and non-Christian alike, is there something really powerful in what's going on here? And by powerful, I don't mean mean simply like moving or inspirational. Uh, And by that, I don't mean like, do you, the Bible is not about being an interesting idea or worldview. Um, Jesus is not, it's not about uh, kind of just being an interesting topic to discuss. Jesus is saying tonight that the kingdom of God, that what he is doing, that Christianity is powerful. And that what that means is this, that when Jesus comes into your life and you start to do business with him, things start to happen uh, in your life that you look at and you say, there's no way this could be true of me or this could be happening to me unless something powerful has come into my life and is changing things. So we're talking about real power. We're not, again, we're not talking about inspiration or moving Is the gospel a real power that exerts influence and change and transformation in our lives and in the world? And that's an important question. So let me read just these few short verses in Mark 4 and then we'll talk about it. Uh, Jesus said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God or with what parable should we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we need you to be with us tonight and we need you to answer the question of whether or not this is powerful and whether or not we're wasting our time to open this book and to read these stories, Father God. So we ask for your Holy Spirit to do work in our hearts, to convince us of these truths, um, and make us new and different people. Father God, I pray that your power would be with us. In your name I pray. Amen. So in Mark chapter 4, this is actually Jesus' third straight parable. If you go read Mark 4, it says, Third straight parable in a row comparing the kingdom of God to a seed. Um... The first one is the parable of the four soils, which maybe some of you all are familiar with it. And in that parable, just to kind of summarize to get us into the theme, he says, and this is the, all throughout the New Testament, the seed is always likened to the word of the God, of God, the word about the kingdom. First uh, Peter one twenty three says, "We're born of a new seed." That seed is the word of God preached. Um, and the four soils, if you're familiar with it, is what happens right before this. Jesus says there are kind of four different ways people handle the Word of God coming into their life or coming to them. And he says there's four soils. And he says the first soil is this hard soil. And it's the picture of someone throwing seed on hard soil and it just bounces off the surface. You don't, you don't let the seed burrow beneath the surface. Either you blow it off or you just think your own thoughts. And this most often looks like, uh, this is what it looks like is when we customize the Bible to our culture. 
And so you're constantly redefining the ethics of Scripture or the politics of Scripture or the challenges of Scripture. You're redefining them to custom fit you and your culture. So it never challenges anything. And you've just found ways to claim Christian faith, but have your Christianity constantly confirm all the opinions you brought to it in the first place. Conservatives find conservatism. Liberals find liberalism. You always find ways to say about the Bible, oh, that's what cold, that's a different culture than Jesus would never say that now. And that's the hard soil. So you hear the Bible, but all you ever do is actually think your own thoughts. And that's not powerful. That's a waste of time. And then there's the rocky soil. And Jesus says the rocky soil is this soil that's the seed goes in a little bit, but there's a lot of rock there. And so what happens is it springs up really quickly and then dies. And he says uh, the rocky soil is essentially the word and the gospel and Christianity is exciting to you in some context. At church and RUF when you're on a retreat. It's exciting. Uh, But you find that when you're in different social contexts, you become a different person. That really who you are is you're whoever it is advantageous to be according to social context. So you're a Christian among Christians, but you're a different person among different people. It's too hard to remain faithful to the kingdom of God, except for when you're among Christians. And of course, if that's true, you're not experiencing the power of the gospel. You're just conforming to every context, which is the easiest thing to do. And then Jesus says there's a third soil, the thorny soil. And that means there's other things growing up in the soil. And that means also like the hard, the rocky soil, you're excited for a bit. But when other things come along, it kind of gets laid aside, this word of the gospel. And faith in Jesus is just kind of one building block in your goal of the well-rounded self. So you're developing socially, and you're developing academically, and intellectually, and professionally, and Christianity is your spiritual component to your life. And you're holding all those things together, and you're managing all of those things, except for Jesus will not have any of that. The kingdom of God will never be content to be just a component of your life. Jesus is constantly saying the kingdom of God is about taking over All of your life. This is what he says to the rich young ruler. He says, oh, you want to follow me? Then you have to give away everything that identifies you and follow me. So with the thorny soil, Jesus says, if you're growing the spiritual plant called Christianity in your garden alongside all these other plants, your social life, your sexual life, your political or academic or professional financial life, then his plant has no business in your garden. And again, that's just not very powerful Christianity, if that's the way you're approaching it. And then there's the fourth soil. And Jesus says there's the good soil that's soft and it receives it. And it receives the word of God and he says it yields 30 and 60 and 100 fold. And what that is percentage wise, that yield is actually 3,000, 6,000 or 10,000 percent. That's power. That is Jesus saying when the seed gets down and you receive it, there's power. And our question tonight is where's that power? Is it real and how does it work? And so into that he speaks this next parable about seeds, this parable of the mustard seed. And our question, and and he's talking about the power of the kingdom of God, the power of the gospel. Does it have power to change us? Does it have power to change anything? To heal what is broken? Uh, What's broken in our relationships? What's broken in us? Is there real power that's actually unleashed into the world and into relationships and into our hearts and into our lives and into our money and into our studies and into our politics and into our structures and into our depression to make everything new again, to really change it? Is there power here? Does it do something? And I would say this, and I think Paul would agree with me, you shouldn't waste your time with it if it's not powerful. 
if it's just examples or if it's just an interesting worldview for you or philosophy, if you simply distill it down to those kind of things, don't waste your time with it. We need to know, is this powerful? Can it do something? Otherwise, we have a lot of crap to do. Y'all are really busy. If this is not powerful, we're wasting our time on Tuesday night because y'all take way too many classes and take on way too many responsibilities to waste your time for an hour and a half on Tuesday night if indeed this is not powerful. And I'm and I gotta get a new job if this is not powerful, right? <laughs> Jesus speaks and he says, "This is powerful," but you're gonna have to re-articulate or think about power in a different way. Because the first thing he says is this: is the kingdom of God and the power of God starts small, and we don't like that. What can we compare the kingdom of God? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown in the ground is the smallest of all the seeds of the earth. In the ancient Near East, mustard seed was a common phrase for saying anything really, comparing anything very, very small. Just something as small as a mustard seed. People would say that in different ways. And in other gospels, you're probably familiar with this parable. It's paired with the parable of the leaven. Right after it, it talks about mixing yeast into dough and says it's just like that. Yeast is tiny and it makes something big. The healing power of God, Jesus is saying the gospel in your life and in the world will begin with something that looks ordinary and insignificant. Ordinary and insignificant. And the reality is, is we have a lot, and my guess is we all feel, myself included, a lot bigger matters to attend to this week than dealing with God. How much of the idea of dealing with God, how much bandwidth does that take up? And your heart and your imagination and your anxieties and your brain. Not a whole lot because you have a ton going on. Right? You've got to finish your projects before Thanksgiving. You've got to get ready for going home. You've got the end of the quarter. You have to deal with your roommate. You're depressed. You're breaking up. There's money issues. There are parties. There's a startup. Should you get in on it? Right? This could be it. You might have already missed it. Uh, right? There's midterms. There's exercise. That's taking up a ton of bandwidth. Right? How does the love of God in Christ help? It feels like doing business with God. That's, that's the last, if I have time, I can get to that. Because all these other things, these are very powerful. And that feels significant. Or that, sorry, that feels insignificant. And maybe we're Christian enough to say, oh, I think this is really important. But let's be honest. It feels silly and powerless and odd and ordinary, and impotent, and insignificant to think, well, really, the most powerful thing that happens in my week are the moments I spend with God. We don't think that. And Jesus says, you know what? The kingdom of God does start small. It actually does, just like the mustard seed. It starts small, but it grows into a dominating and flourishing plant. Into the largest plant in the garden, what's being spoken of in this parable is a certain uh, type of mustard plant that grew in the ancient Near East. Uh, it's a black mustard is what it's called. And that's a huge plant in any garden. It will grow to be 8 to 10 feet tall in your garden. Uh, and it's weed-like. One of the commentators said that it's one of those plants that takes over everything. You can't get rid of it uh, once it kind of gets to a certain size. In our backyard, when we lived in South Carolina, we had this thing called a passion vine, which just dominated our entire yard. And Elizabeth loved it because the flowers were really pretty, but it was like a huge irritant that I would try to kill when Elizabeth wasn't owned. And like, 
I'm not kidding you. I did everything I could to try and kill it, and it still owned our yard. And uh, the, this mustard plant is like that. It's a weed that takes over the entire garden. Uh, and it eventually takes over the whole garden. But Jesus' point is, it starts small. It starts very small. And that's hard for us. And this might be the most offensive thing I say tonight. It's hard for us because we're all closet Texans. And y'all need to accept that. <laughs> Texans love big. If you haven't met one, they're, they're just enamored with this concept of big. Because we think big, it's probably because they're insecure, but, so y'all be gentle with them. But <laughs> we think big, <laughs> no, the Texans are coming back. <laughs> we think big means powerful and significant. You came to Stanford because it's the biggest. It's the best. It has the power to realize your dreams. Came to Silicon Valley. It's the biggest center of opportunity, right, for success and impact in the world. There's nowhere else in the world that some random 19-year-old can come and have access to the most influential institutions in the world. Stanford is it. This is the biggest place, this is bigger than New York. This is bigger than D.C. now. Y'all know this. This is why you're here. And we live here because we believe big means influence and it means significance and it means power. And the greatest fear that many of you have is that you're going to come to Stanford and then become someone small. Big influence and big organizations and big ideas and big dreams and big impact. That's why you came here. It's because you loved big. And Jesus is saying his thing is small. And this is what he's saying. Do you know what has more power in your life to bring deep healing down deep into your soul and into your psyche to you and to the world around you? Do you know what has more power to bring deep healing to you and the world around you? You know, has more power than dreaming about big ideas like humanity and equality and education and disrupting things, right? You know what has more power to heal you than that? Forgiving the person you're not forgiving right now. Sitting in your dorm room and coming up with a startup that's going to bring fresh water to everybody in Africa sounds awesome and big and powerful. You know what has more powerful to bring deep healing in your life and to the people around you is forgiving that person that you refuse to forgive right now. That's small. Right? Asking God, would He forgive you? Letting your conscience rest in His verdict on your life, you are forgiven. And then straight away going to your friend and sorting through that conflict. That seed of gospel reconciliation, if you take it and you run with it today, that will reverberate through your life for decades. It will... If you go and do that tonight, the last thing you want to do, and you just say, you know what, I think I'm going to go and do that, instead of plan your startup that's going to change the world, you will start into the process of becoming a person that thinks forgiveness is at the center of who you are, and it will... I suggest if you go to that person tonight, you're probably improving your marriage a thousandfold tonight. Because marriage is just about forgiving. You start to buy into that idea of forgiveness. It'll change everything. You know what's going to grow you into a person of substance and security decades from now, more so than your job at Goldman or getting into med school or getting an A on your midterm next week? Praying for your friends 
earnestly, offering to God over and over heartfelt pleas that your friends would know the security of His love and His gospel. That's small. You know what? Weird, ordinary group of people will continue to grow and continue to change the world for thousands of years, longer than Google, longer than Stanford, longer than the United States. God's people, the church, the weird people who meet in middle school gyms and have potluck dinners with horrible macaroni and cheese and sing songs you don't understand. You know what? They're going to be around and changing the world thousands of years from now when no one has heard of your school. The Roman Empire was huge. And dominated the entire known world. And this weed called the gospel, led by 12 unimportant peasants, took it over. Guess what doesn't exist today, the Roman Empire? Guess what has crossed every socioeconomic, ethnic, and geographical boundary on the globe today? The Church of Jesus. It's small and unimportant, isn't it? What's going to produce a stable and centering source of happiness in your life 10, 20, 30 years from now? More so than another weekend of medicating your sorrow or your loneliness however you want to. You know what's going to produce a stable and centering happiness in your life for 10 and 20, 30 years? Confession and the joy of hearing your father say, I love you, I forgive you. You know what's going to have the greatest impact on the kind of people that your children are going to be? It is not how much money you make to send them to an insanely amazing private school. You know what's going to change your children forever? Is if because Jesus welcomes outsiders and welcomes the marginalized, you don't simply go volunteer at a soup kitchen, but you actually give your honest friendship day in and day out to someone who needs a friend. You do that tomorrow, your children, who they are in the future is already changing. In beautiful ways. And that's small. You, this is why we like big, actually. We like big because it's easy. It's a whole lot easier to care about humanity and to care about equality and to care about wealth and impact and excellence than it is to forgive, to pray, to befriend, to be merciful, to be kind. Big is easy. It's the easy way out. And that's why we run to it. The small moments of gospel seeds in your life have the power to change you, and they will reverberate, and they'll create waves in your life. They'll create waves out from your life and down through your life. And this is what waves do. They change coastlines. Slowly, over time, with little moments... Again and again and again until the landscape of your life decades from now looks totally different. One moment of grace. One moment of grace. One moment of rest. One moment of rest. One moment of prayer. One moment of love. One moment of worship. So small, it reverberates and over time it produces something far more substantial than all the big things that fill up our imaginations. Who you will be 20 years from now has less to do with what you get on your midterm next week and more to do with how you choose to interact with people that sin against you next week. It's small, uh, and it grows into something huge and substantial. That's the first point. The second point is this, is it takes time. 
the parable of the four soils, how long does it take for seed to yield 30 and 60 and 100 fold? It takes forever. Right? I planted an herb garden for Elizabeth. Her birthday was in September. And I wanted an herb garden for her on the day of, on her birthday. So, I went and planted an herb garden, and it's awesome. And we have all kinds of stuff back there. And some, some of y'all have even eaten it. We like use it in our cooking. There's like basil and lettuce and thyme. And we're in California, so we have kale in our herb garden, right? <laughs> Chives, all kinds of stuff. And I planted it in September, and it is flourishing. And it is full grown. And you know Why? Because I bought full-grown plants. Because <laughs> the last thing I want to do is wait for seeds to grow. <laughs> that would have sucked, right? I want an herb garden today. I don't have times for seeds. That takes forever, right? When Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, He's not talking about going to Lowe's and buying a full-grown thyme plant for your herb garden. He's saying the kingdom of God, that Jesus' power coming in this world and into your life, into making whole what was broken, is going to be a process. And it's going to take time. But we want our circumstances remedied today. And maybe this is why you're, myself included, are frustrated. Like, God, where is the power? Because my circumstances aren't fixed today. Right, And so we have quick fixes to everything. Some of them are more socially acceptable and less socially acceptable. I want a quick fix to my body. And so you can paleo diet and CrossFit, which is acceptable. But of course, actually, just a very slightly different form of that is anorexia, right? And eating disorders. They're both different ways of saying, of panicking about the fact that we hate our bodies and we don't like God's timing, right? Quick fix to our loneliness. What's... what's they're different spectrum of what's acceptable there, right? We can date really, really seriously and we're basically mimicking marriage in our dating because we're tired of being lonely or we can just look at pornography and just mimic intimacy for a moment. We're trying to fix it because we don't like God's timing on dealing with our loneliness issue. On our depression, we deal with that with all kinds of chemicals, some that are acceptable, some that socially aren't, right? We want a remedy to our, our addiction. We want a remedy to all these kind of things. Do you see that actually rarely all throughout the week our life is dominated by quick fixes and they're not working and that's why we keep running back to them and maybe you're even disillusioned with God maybe this is the reason you're struggling with Christianity is because He won't submit to your timetable God, why is this thing still in my life now? Why have I prayed about this for seasons and it's still here? Why am I still sad? Why am I still lonely? Why won't you do what I want you to do right now? Where is your power? I mean, that's one of the reasons we doubt His power. And the power of the kingdom of God is slow. And what we're prone to think is slow means weak. And you need to see my patio in my backyard as well. Because in one day, stone and concrete were set down and created a beautiful patio and sealed with concrete. And it was a big and powerful and heavy, quick fix. But you know what happened slowly over time? The roots of the tree next to it started to push it up. and started to break the concrete. The heavy, substantial, quick fix is giving way to the seed. And the tree's going to win. It's taking years, but it's winning. It is not stopping. And the gospel in you 
is too substantial of a thing to simply download into our lives overnight. We're anxious to get all the circumstances in our life finally lined up. Our life is always about the place out there where finally the circumstances where I want them. We're afraid to live in the present. Right? The point is my kind of ideal place, my ideal job, family, house, career, friends, body, to get it all lined up. So God, help me get there. Let's get it done. Let's get to that point. And the power of the gospel in your life, the power of this being exerted on you by Jesus, His goal is to make you into a certain type of person. His goal is not to procure for you certain types of circumstances. His goal is to make you a certain type of person. To make you what Paul calls, when he describes the mature Christian, someone of love, someone of joy, someone of peace, someone of patience, someone of kindness, someone of humility, someone that is self-giving. You know the list that Paul gives all over the place. God is shaping you into Christ's likeness. That's His goal for you. His goal for you is not for you to fit into a certain type of clothing or to make a certain type of money or to even have the mate you want. And these virtues of Christ's likeness, they can be described quickly, but they are not grown overnight. And in fact, one of his key tools for growing you is waiting and suffering. Because really waiting is just a form of suffering. And suffering is the place where much gospel transportation uh, takes place. And suffering that is short and swift is not suffering. That's just an inconvenience. Suffering lasts seasons. It takes seeds seasons to yield 30 and 60 and 100 fold. Seasons. Years. Even decades. And we want to short circuit the process. Because that sounds horrible. And so what we want to do is we just want to staple some Christian fruit on. We just want to get the yield there. Let's go to the supermarket, buy some fruit, and staple it on the tree. So if I can just, all right, I'm going to get busy for Jesus. That's our answer, right? I'm going to start reading my Bible every day. How many times have you endeavored? Like, all right, now I'm really kind of going to bear Christian fruit. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to try to pray more. I'm going to try to come to RUF. I'm going to join one of the small groups. I'm going to do the missions trip. And once you just kind of, oh, I filled up my calendar with busy Christian things, boom, Christian fruit right there. Right? Done. That's kingdom maturity. Right? You just got to sign up for stuff to be mature in the kingdom, right? That's fruit stapling, is what that is. And that's why the busy practices that you think of as your fruit wilt and stink and fall off eventually. They stink to you and they stink to us. We all know when we're fruit stapling, everybody picks up on it. And they didn't grow organically from the seed, they were stapled on in haste. One of the coolest things about my job that I really, truly enjoy is that I get to watch y'all over the course of four years. And as I get to know you, I just get to drop in on your life every week or so. And I get to see you in brief moments over a cup of coffee or over lunch or maybe at a small group or something like that. And so it's literally like I'm just looking in on your garden once every week or two. Sometimes I don't even see you for three or four months because you go abroad and you come back. You are staring at your garden every day. You're looking at the surface of the soil and you're waiting for the first bud to come through. And that's miserable. And that's why you don't get actually see growth. Not, there's nothing we can do about it, but you're trying to watch yourself grow every day. The cool thing about my job is I get to see all grow. It's awesome. And to see the kingdom of God slowly take over the garden of your heart. And in some ways, I really have a better seat 
than you do. And when I hang out with seniors, when I hang out with alumni and they kind of reflect back on their college years, one of the questions I ask them is, what would you tell your freshman self? And nobody has very good answers because whatever answers they give me, I said, okay, if you had actually said that to your freshman self, would you have listened? And they all go, oh, no. I was like, I know you wouldn't have listened because I actually did tell you that. (laughs) And I tell them, this process, these four years, there's a lot of processes ahead of you, of pain and of sorting through things and stumbling through things and waiting and struggling is how God grew you. These moments of pain and waiting and suffering and sorting is where the power of the gospel is at work. It doesn't happen once you get through that stage. He is giving you His word now, spoken into those circumstances, whether it's a large group, when your own private reading in a small group, He is speaking into those circumstances and saying, take this into those circumstances and work and sort and wait. And that's where He's growing you. Gospel transformation that happens in your life is not going to come from information download. It comes from the messy process of growing. How does it work? I'll give you generic examples of what does that look like. How does a seed grow? It grows slowly over time, but what does a seed do? It slowly just invades. It just pushes things out of the way until it invades all of the soil of the garden and then the air and the land above the soil. It just pushes things slowly, very, very slowly. You can never see the pushes every day. You can only see what the pushing has done over months and over years. So what does that look like? Maybe it looks like this. You initially come to Christ and you come to Christianity because you experienced guilt. You believed in sin. You believed that there was darkness in you at a youth meeting, at RUF, at a retreat, whatever it was. Maybe because of your own conscience, you sensed it. I'm not a good person despite appearances. And you heard that God forgives, that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that was good news to you. And you heard good news that you could reconnect to God because Jesus comes and takes away all that disqualifies you. And that's awesome. And your sin, the particular bad habits, the things that you knew disqualified you, um, you are finally free from the guilt of it. You're like, wow, that no longer defines me, that no longer disqualifies me. But as you grow, what happened is you began to see in friendships, wow, I really think about myself. You had your your couple of sins you felt guilty for, but you started to understand yourself a little bit more. And you started to realize, wow, in my friendships, I'm a very self-centered person. I constantly think about myself. I don't have the capacity to have sympathy or empathy. Maybe you begin to see like, man, I think I'm kind of elitist and narcissistic in terms of the way I think about education and professionalism in my professional life. Maybe you begin to see, like, "Ah, I'm really judgmental. Maybe you begin to see, like, I'm really a hypocrite. I really have a double life. And maybe those weren't the things that first brought you to Jesus. And what's happening now is not that you're becoming a worse person. You're actually growing up in your ability to self-reflect. That's what's happening. You're beginning to diagnose and see your heart a little bit more clearly. All those things were always there. But that first thing that brought you to Jesus was, was that addiction or that particularly shameful sin that you needed freedom from. But what's happened now... You came to Jesus seeking forgiveness for that one sin, and now that word of forgiveness is pushing. And it's pushing into all those other areas of your life. And you realize, wow, I need that word of forgiveness to speak into all these areas. Because 
You're a terrible friend and God is merciful. You only think about yourself and God is merciful. You're an angry person and God is merciful. And day in and day out, the word of forgiveness pushes. And it's almost hard to believe that it continues to be true. Because you keep discovering things about yourself like, wow, I'm just not the person I thought I was. Does the word of forgiveness hold? And it does. And it's pushing into all these other arenas of your life that you never thought you were going to need to bring to Jesus. Until eventually you realize, I need Jesus to, con- to cover the entirety of my vain and angry life. And that word of forgiveness, that picture of Jesus on the cross is pushed into every corner of your life. And you didn't notice it because you never would have, but you've changed because you've actually been humbled and you're a different person and there's fruit and you're actually joyful and now you're kind of a peacemaker and now you're someone who gives and someone who forgives. It takes a long time to get there, but that word of forgiveness, it creeps into every corner of your life. And beautiful things happen, but it's slow. And it just pushes day in and day out a little bit further. Maybe that wasn't you. Maybe you're crushing it at Stanford. But beneath the surface, I'm sure this isn't true of anybody in here, you're scared and nervous and anxious and maybe lonely. You don't know how to be known anymore. You're afraid that maybe that's not even possible to be known. You're so good at hiding behind all of your kind of Stanford exceptionalism uh, that you're afraid to give voice to your anxieties and to your shames and to your fears of your interior life. You just manage it until nobody's around. But you definitely don't want to be one of those people who has to take time off, right? Because then you have to have a story for it. You have to explain. You have to figure out a way... And the, to avoid telling people you couldn't keep it together. And Jesus has come to say, your value is not in your productivity. Your value is in my care for you. You're my son. You're my daughter. And though you're shattered, I can make you whole. Though you're afraid, I can take away your fear. Come to me, you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And you found rest in Jesus. And the first moment that seed comes into your life, maybe just the stress, stress level in homework drops a shade. I'm like, ah, okay, homework's not as important as I thought it was. Just a little bit. Maybe your shoulders just drop a little back, a little bit, right? Your back just is not as stressful. But that rest is going to push in the soil of your life, slowly, like a seed does, unnoticeably. And after a while, what's going to happen and I've seen this, and it's beautiful. Stanford students who've been working through what it means to be a Christian and listening to what Jesus has to say to them get a B-, and they don't freak out. And they're actually surprised by themselves. They're like, oh, I got a B-, minus, and I, and, and I found out I was okay with it. That's gospel growth right there, right? <laughs> if you get a C and you're okay with it, then we're a little bit worried. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you get a C and it's okay with it, then you're like, we're like moving you straight up to the Pope, like you're running the church. <laughs> After a while, a friend needs you even when you have a midterm and you go and be a good friend at the expense of your studying, right? 
You comfort them. After a while, you find yourself praying more. After a while, you find yourself gathering people into friendships. After a while, you start to entertain. This is crazy. After a while, you start to think, hey, maybe just being a mom is also an acceptable way of living. That's gospel growth. I'm not saying it's the only way of living. I'm saying for the first time you think, maybe that's also an acceptable path for me. This rest from anxiety, the rest that comes from the knowledge that Jesus loves you, it starts to push into other areas of your life. It starts to consume other areas of your life slowly. That's the power of the kingdom of God. It shifts the soil in your heart. It breaks hard ground. It goes, it goes down and it goes up and out as well. And it invades everything because Jesus wants everything. He wants the garden. And He establishes His rule and His reign and His kingdom in your life not by brute force, but by serving you and by loving you, by extending you mercy, by dying for you, by rising again for you. His power is not mystical spiritual energy. It's also not authoritarianism. This is what He says in Matthew twenty twenty five. He says that power structures of this world are all about wielding influence and lording over each other, but greatness and the power in God's kingdom... Is his service. Giving up his life as a ransom for many. Paul says in Romans 1.16, The power of God is the gospel. Is Jesus' death on a cross, bearing the sins of the world so that we wouldn't be judged. Jesus rising again from the dead so that we have new life in him. That's the power of God. It's not mystical energy to help you feel better. Does the kingdom of God have power? Absolutely. History, whether or not you're a Christian, history testifies resolutely that the power of the kingdom of God starts small, takes time, but transforms people and changes the world. In the first century, a baby was born in a stable to peasant parents. He was a wandering teacher who was politically assassinated at age 33. And his... Whether or not you're a Christian, his death is the most powerful moment in human history. His giving up his life as a ransom for many to take away the sins of the world in a display of justice and grace so profound that the entire globe, Christian or not, Western or Eastern, whatever color you are, whatever ethnicity you are, 2,000 years later, the entire globe is still dealing with it. With a child born to peasants, politically assassinated at age 33, 2,000 years ago. Everybody is still dealing with that. Do you actually see how powerful, like, really historically the gospel is? Undeniably, what Jesus has done and said is? The power of the gospel is making all things new. And it has the power to heal you, and it has the power to restore you, and to wipe away every tear, and to wipe away every sorrow, and to take away sickness and in death. You will access that power. Once you stop getting distracted by big, fast things and let the person of Jesus do business in your heart in slow and small ways. Let's pray.